Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush here with you a little later this week because there's no midweek game, so uh, Phil and I took our sweet time. But, uh, Phil, uh, exciting week to talk about last week. Uh, things keep looking better for Marquette, really. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's as if optimistic Phil is having a bit of a fever dream. Um, you know, it's, it's turning out to be... Uh, a case where I think Marquette's pretty good. Like, I, they're not great, but they're pretty good. And, you know, in year two with Shaka, I think I'll take that. Uh, and maybe they are great. I we'll get be. into that in, in in today's show. Basically, in today's show, with the holidays coming, the schedule may be a little wacky. But basically what we're going to do in today's show is kind of wrap up non-conference if any opinions have changed, where we think Marquette is relative to where we thought they might be and relative to the rest of the Big East. And as Big East play gets started on Friday, there's only one game this week. We're going to talk about the Big East opener, the Big East lid lifter, as the old timers like to say, <laughs> against Creighton on Friday night. So, Phil, let's uh, first, it's kind of old news now, but I at least want to touch on the week, week that was. We don't need to dive into the the NC Central, uh, North Carolina Central game too much. But, of course, uh, the win over Notre Dame was another impressive non-conference win for your Golden Eagles going on the road and going to South Bend and beating the Fighting Irish pretty handily. I, I guess time will tell to see exactly where in the ACC Notre Dame is going to end up falling. But uh, one thing we I think we did hit on the head in last last week's pod was Notre Dame's depth seems like it might be an issue and in the end that's kind of exactly what happened and Marquette really kind of impressively wore down the Irish and by the end of the game even though the first half may not have been Marquette's best half of the year by the end of the game it really wasn't much of a contest yeah I think that was you know I, I think that was a wire to wire you know the mark wire to wire Marquette win um I think for us it's a little hard yet to shake the the dread that oh here comes here here comes the the giveaway or here comes the bad game um but you know really while the game wasn't perfect in both halves i i think if we're if a neutral observer were were talking about that game they would go yeah marquette really wasn't really wasn't challenged they did what they wanted to do um you know, I need to I need to have a very stern conversation with Pat Driscoll after he what he did to to my poor job wagon. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean Marquette was solidly in control of that game, and and I mean even the the fifteen point margin was you know of the final score Marquette was up twenty with with a minute to go. So it's not like it was even even that close. Marquette easily could have. You yeah, know, I mean, extended that lead. Got a minute of walk-ons there at the end. Right. That, that's what allowed them to maybe trim that final five points. But, yeah, uh, the ejection on David Joplin was garbage. Uh, he, like, he fell into the guy, and his arm did – yeah, his arm did fall into the guy's man area. But, I 
I don't think there was anything malicious there. So no, I, but yeah, that was terrible. And but, and um, and I mean, arguably there was an offensive foul, you know, committed against Joplin that kind of, you know, the physics of it all forced him into the into the awkward position. So it was just garbage all the way around. But uh, you know, I, I guess that that's. It's a game where you can you can live with that because Mar, you know Marquette was solidly in control, so you, it's not like you had to have um, David Joplin for that game. Yeah, and you know Notre Dame, I thought really struggled defensively in that game, and Marquette continued to take advantage all night uh, or all day in that game. They um, especially Cam Jones. I mean, oh, I thought boy. Cam Jones, he just got to the basket with ease and he is looking more and more confident uh as a scorer as a as a three level scorer really uh, he used to be, i mean as a freshman he was mo- he's pretty much just a shooter i mean shock even said he never he never got to the foul line and we need you to do that this year and he has answered that call and other teams have seen the tape of cam jones by now and Cam knows what they know. Cam knows that they know he likes to shoot from deep. But he's using that little head fake to get his guy in the air and then drive to the basket. And I'm loving that about his game. Um, And he really is starting to look like a guy who could be one of the top scorers in the Big East this season just because he is... He has diversified his offensive game, and I am personally loving that from him right now. Yeah, well, and can we talk about two elements of this... Um, you know, and which is such a breath of fresh air from from the previous administration. But not only is Cam making adjustments and changes, he's he's reduced some of the space shots. There, there's one taken every once in a while, which, quite frankly, I guess I don't mind at this point. Um, I can handle one a game. It's it's like three or four a game that people were bagging on him on earlier this season. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, once and every once in a while, especially with the shot clock winding down, whatever, it's nothing. Right. But, but look at the adjustment um, that Cam is making to the game. So he is, you know, like it, it, it should be noted, like his ability to receive coaching and, and make the changes necessary. I mean, his free throw rate this season is 17.8. It was 9.2 last season. So he's almost doubled his free throw rate uh, per Ken Palm. Um, he's getting to the rim. He's he's attempted 47 two-point shots this season. I'm, I'm sure you're on Ken Palm, but do you want to guess how many two-point shots he attempted all of last season? Okay, I'm not going to cheat. So it's 47 so far this year? Correct. All of last year? Yes. I'll say an, ev- an even 50. Oh, so close. 52. Ha! <laughs> He will in the undoubtedly in the Creighton game. He will at, he will achieve the same number of two point attempts in you know through the Creighton game that he did all last season. Do you want to know what he was hitting from two last season percentage wise? Mm, all right, I'll ballpark it again. Uh, I'm going to guess it wasn't great because he didn't attack the basket. I'm guessing a lot of his twos were just long twos. So I'm going to say. Thirty-eight percent. Eh, give him a little more respect. Forty-eight percent, but still. Okay. What is his two-point percentage on this season? Boy, he's getting to the basket a lot and getting a lot of layups. Sixty-four percent. Seventy-two percent. The man. The man has almost taken as many twos as he as he uh, did all of last season already in the non-conference season, and has nearly doubled that two-point percentage. 
It's insane. It's amazing we're taking good shots and just being aggressive and <laughs> and working within the offense, right? Like yeah, we'll, look, we'll do for guys. You know, talk we'll, about we'll do for your percentages. Talk about development, and then the other side of this is like, and we we've talked about it in previous pods. Like, how amazing is it to have a coach that sees a problem, addresses the problem both in public and in private, and the player yes. goes, "Yes, sir," and off he goes, <laughs> like right. Like the just the sheer number that we've we've reduced Cam's reduced the number of space shots. He's getting to the rim. He's getting fouls. I mean, how many and ones did he have against Notre Dame? I I, I can recall at least two, if not three. That's probably another thing that he's probably already a, about to surpass this year compared to last year. His scoring is it, it's just and ones. Yeah, just going to the basket, a three point place, the old fashioned way. You know what's crazy? So here's here's what's crazy. Um, so he is shooting like you got to bear with me from a numbers perspective, but you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm listening. But, I'm listening. <laughs> so everyone, everyone's like three crazy. So he's you know he's taken a lot of threes. He's taken 88 this season. He took 143 of all last year, which was a lot. His his three point shooting percentage is down. 40 points. So he's shooting 35% from three this year. He was at 39%. But he is so bloody damn efficient at his two-point shooting and his free throws that his effective field goal percentage has gone up by nearly five points. He's at he's at almost 60% EFG percentage, which like it's it's not elite, but it's really good. Yeah, so just tells you just more quality shots and that's mm-hmm. basically the whole philosophy behind effective field goal percentage is the efficiency of the shots you take either you take very high percentage shots at the rim or you shoot a high percentage for uh for a shot that's worth 50 percent more and yeah even if he uh even if his three-point percentage is down a little bit probably still weighed down by some of those early season heaves uh his overall percentage is better because he's taking smarter shots and being aggressive and getting to the basket. And when he does get to the basket, he, he is creative at the rim too. Right. I mean, he's great at uh, just, you know, great body control around the rim. If he has to go up and under a defender and he spin it off the glass, he can do all that. We saw very little, if any of that last year from Cam. Now granted, he probably wasn't asked to do that a lot last year, given some of the other guys on the team. And the fact that he was a freshman, just trying to prove that he was a, Big East quality player, but he is, uh, I don't want to say pro level necessarily, but he is playing as a, like a high level Big East score with his creativity and body control around the rim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, the last thing, his free, his free throw attempts last season, he took 18 all of last season. He's already taken 24 this season. And that's something, uh, again, back to Shaka, setting goals and having players work towards achieving them. He said that very plainly in the preseason practices about what he wanted to see from Cam. He right. looked at the reporters and said he shot as many free throws in Big East play as you and I did last year. And we can't have that. So that, that's going to get fixed. So right. I bet he shoots at least one in the Creighton game. So then he's already over his total from last year. Right. And and, and I don't want to I don't want to wrap up the Cam Jones love affair too soon. But like the ridiculous pass he had to was it Oso at, near the end of that uh, uh, of that Notre Dame game. Like he he is like 
He's not going to be mistaken for a point guard, but he's got some vision. He can, he can he can pass it when he needs to. That was just I I just about melted to the floor. Listen, I'm not I'm not cheating on the Jap wagon. I'm not selling my Jap wagon stock, but I, I'm I I you know I can't I can't deny I'm having indiscreet thoughts about Cam Jones in a basketball set. <laughs> There's extra room in your garage for more than one wagon. Correct. Correct. So, you know, Cam Jones, good on you, man. Like, it's it's exciting basketball. Basically, you've got the Jop Wagon parked, and you've also got a giant clock where the clock is, it's always Cam, Cam Jones time. Correct. 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 Oh, look, it's time to drive the Jop Wagon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, uh, again, we could probably heat praises on Cam Jones all podcast, basically the way he has uh, developed and what he's been showing. But anyone else that you think deserves a special amount of praise from last week, particularly from the Notre Dame game? Um, you know, I think, again, we, we just we, we may talk about it every single week, but I think Oso Iguodaro is is the single most important and single most irreplaceable player on this roster. Um, you know, I just he is. He is a unique character within kind of the the center universe. Um, And he allows this team to do things that they definitely shouldn't be able to do. Um, So so having him and and to a lesser uh, lesser sense, Omax, you know, just creates really challenging situations to put other teams in. And, And I think that's why we're seeing you know, this team developed so rapidly is, is just the maturation of, of key players like Oso. And, and I just, you know, it, I think we're going to look back on this season and some of the, the talent that was on this roster and go, Oh man, was that a collection that was, you know, maybe just a year too early, right? Like we may be looking at, at Oso Iguodaro making a campaign to say, Hey, NBA, look at me, right? Like I, I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, the, the NBA gives out a most improved player of the award. The Big East doesn't, right? The Big East doesn't give a most improved player of the award. But if they did, Oso would be in the mix for that this year. I mean, theoretically, he could have been in the mix for it the last two seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, he has stepped into that starting role and he has owned it. And really has made himself indispensable uh, for this current Marquette team because when he's not in the game, there is a noticeable drop off because of not just what he brings as far as a, a post presence, but um, his passing as a big man is, dare I say, elite. Yes. I think it's tremendous. Um, He's improving as a rebounder. He is improving as a shot blocker. We know he can score. He's got that little touch around the basket. Um, if the jump shot comes around, he will. Uh, he'll be a pro. Yeah. Did you see? Maybe. Did Did you see the clip from uh, the Marquette social media uh, from the? I think it was the North Central or North Carolina Central game where where Oso had the baseline drive and and made the pass and you could literally the angle of the camera you could see him smiling as he as he made the no look. Okay. Pass yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like he just knew he's like. All right, I'm going to no look this, and it's going to be a bucket, and it's going to be amazing. Like, I I just feel like that on the inside all the time watching this team play right now. He sees that lane, he's like, "Wait, I'll get a load of this." <laughs> yeah, drops that in there. Yeah. So the 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 team has 
really impressed us, Phil. Now that we are done with the non-conference portion of the schedule, um, how would you evaluate, say, where Marquette is? I'll just start with this, and just you can take it wherever you want. Yeah, they have three losses. They're eight and three, but their three losses are to Purdue, undefeated, Mississippi State, undefeated, Wisconsin, ranked. Uh, all three of those teams are ranked, and every loss, you know, you, you hate to like, you know cry over spilled milk because they did lose those games but every one of those games was winnable they haven't been embarrassed in a game this year like they've they've had some a poor half here a poor half there but there has not been a game this year where this team has stunk start to finish and just gotten been non-competitive in a game every game they've had a chance to win and they've won eight of them uh and so that's like yeah, the committee may not, when it comes down to selection Sunday, may not give you a whole lot of credit for close losses. But I mean, the net—I mean, that, there's value there in the net by every game, any game you lose, they're all being close and all being certainly all being to ranked teams. I mean, those would all be quad one games, right? So, um, I mean, the resume is pretty outstanding, especially because you have that Baylor win that you're going to hang your hat on all season and. You know, Notre Dame's not a bad win at all, either. Yeah, I, I think the the thing is, and, and it depends on which side of the coin you want to look at, right? Like, both Purdue and Mississippi State, Marquette was up late. I mean, Purdue was up, or against Purdue, Marquette was up nine with, like, eight to go, right? So, I mean, both of those games could have been won by Marquette. And, you know, even if one of those two goes the other way, like Marquette's ranked, and they're probably yeah. probably a top twenty-five Ken Palm team. Yeah, um, I think in both, I think both the Purdue and Wisconsin games, you could almost point to one shot. Like if it falls, right. it probably goes the other way. Like uh, you know, the the Purdue game had that fast break with Tyler Kolek where he kicked it out to Chase Ross, and Chase missed a three. And he got another shot at it and missed that one too. And I could have extended the lead to double digits. You feel like maybe if that lead gets to double digits, Purdue may not get all the way back. But there was a lot of time left in that, so that's not definitive. But then, of course, then the, in the Wisconsin game, uh, Omax had a late three uh, with Marquette up one. If that falls and you're up four with under a minute to go, feel pretty confident Marquette closes that one out. So both of those games maybe literally one shot away. And Mississippi State was clo- uh, close late as well. Uh, I don't know if I can, off the top of my head, pick out one shot that I would say is regrettable that if it goes the other way, they win. But that's another one that uh, a possession here, a possession there, uh, they could have got that one. So they've been in every game. And quite frankly, based on from the previous regime, just being competitive and being in every game was like the bare minimum expectation as you look to a new regime and a new coach. And that's what this team is doing. And they're not just in every game. They're winning most of them. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously the Baylor game was a, a bright, shining star on the resume, but I think the other thing that you made mention of that's really important is it's not like Marquette has put a stinker in any one of these games, right? Like, you could make an argument, okay, Marquette had a bad second half of the North Carolina Central game. You know, they were at one point up 30 or some ridiculous number and and let them back yeah. to, to within 12. You know, so they came off the gas a little bit, right? The the Wisconsin game, they didn't play a great first half, which allowed Wisconsin to build a 12-point 12, 12 lead, right? And, 
you know, the Mississippi State was a rock fight in the first half and and all of that stuff. So, yes, you know, in Marquette, we talked about Purdue. The, the last 10 minutes of the Purdue game, maybe being generous, the last seven, eight minutes of the Purdue game, you know, were, were a bit of a stinker for Marquette. But the fact that we're seeing this team play well at least every game um, throughout a, a fairly decent schedule I think bodes well that this team is is in it, right? I hopefully we don't see a the vaunted Marquette late February March fade, but <laughs> you know this 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 team seems to be in every game, and that's a you know I I don't I don't question whether this is going to be the stinker anymore, which I always did in the last three or four years of Wojo, right? Like. It's yep. never. It's not like I'm looking at the rest of the schedule and going, "All right, which one are we going to lose that we shouldn't?" Like I, I'm right. starting to get to the point where I feel confident that we're going to win the games we should win. Mm-hmm. The, the games yeah, that the, we maybe maybe are toss ups. I'm not certain of those yet, but but sure. but certainly the the ones we should win. I I don't question. That. You know, something I was thinking about the other day was uh, I did want to bring up on the pod. There there were two. Big negatives from the Wojo era that spilled into year one of the Shaka era that we hope to stamp out. Number one is losing to DePaul. Yep. Uh, we we got to stop doing that. Uh, and because that was a regular thing for Wojo's teams. Almost every year they would lose to DePaul. And then the other one was uh, the late season fade, peaking early. That was that became a staple of uh, Wojo teams, and that happened last year in Shaka's first year. And that's hum- something I hope gets stamped out this year, that Marquette, as good as it's been, has not peaked yet and does not peak until much later. Because I think that's probably the running joke among some other Big East teams about Marquette is that, yeah, they're good now, but they're going to fade once we get into Big East play because that's what they've done pretty routinely for, like, the last five or six years. Right. I mean, yeah, so hopefully that does get uh, stamped out. You know, one other thing you just kind of touched on there that I kind of wanted to throw at you real quick before we maybe dive into the Big East. So I was thinking best half, worst half this year. It's probably undeniable that the best half this year was the first half of the Baylor game. Yeah, yes. without question. Yes, absolutely. So, like, so that's like the standard we hold them to, fair or not. Like that is like, okay, that's this team at their best, and this is what we hope to see more often I, I than guess not. As, so, as I, I kind of think about it, though, like, there is an argument, especially given the relative com- competitiveness and that it was on the road. The first half against Purdue uh, could could be challenging that one. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, they, they were the better team in that half, and considering how good Purdue is. So that's a very valid argument. Right. I, uh, I, still, th- I ha- still think it's Baylor, but, like... I did want to mention that Purdue first half. No, no, worth a mention. Worth, I mean, worth. I didn't. It didn't have to make it a slam dunk for uh, Baylor, but I think that's a good argument. So the other, the, so the other flip side of the coin. What's been the worst half of the season? The one that, uh, even if they rebounded in the second half or, or made up for, or it was a, um, they let off. The, they were, had a great first half and let off the gas. What, what do you say was maybe the worst half this team's played this year? I gotta say, given the the competition and what happened the Tuesday before, I think that first half against Wisconsin, where Marquette did not play decidedly Marquette basketball. Right? They they allowed Wisconsin to set the tempo, and yes, admittedly, Chucky Hepburn decided to shove a horseshoe up his derriere for that for some of those shots, but. That was a letting letting Wisconsin dictate across the board in the first half. I 
think that's it, but maybe the first half of Mississippi State. I, I, I would toss State. out. I would toss up maybe the first half against Chicago State. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, considering that, I mean, that's a game you can win on town alone. And I think they just didn't. I mean, eventually they kind of clawed back and they were in control by the time they actually hit halftime. But there was a good 10 minutes of the Chicago State game. We're just like, man, this team is sleepwalking through this game. But yeah, but I mean, the that. first quarter, according to Ken Palm, it was 21, you know, the first 10 minutes, it was 21-17 Chicago State over Marquette. So... Yeah, you know, not not great. Not the best. Yeah, but uh, I and I still kind of wonder if knowing the talent disparity, Marquette spent a little time before the Chicago State game preparing for Baylor. Oh, I just kind of wonder if they did. Yeah, I you know, I, I like I think it was, you know, like hey, here's the here's the tape on Chicago State. Go go study in your other time. Now we're gonna go work on all the Baylor stuff. Right. Wouldn't surprise me, and no judgment if they did. But I, I just kind of want to throw that out there. But, you know, even if you think most of the halves were f- fine, you know, if you line them all up, one of them is last. So I'm just curious if you thought maybe what you thought maybe the, the worst half was this year. And hopefully we see less of that and much more of those first halves we saw against uh, Purdue and Baylor. So, yeah, I would agree those are the, the best efforts so far this year. So that begs the question, how much uh, – how much of that can we see as we get into Big East play? And, you know, Phil, touching on um, our preseason predictions, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, is it time to maybe amend anything based off of what we've seen so far and what we think the Big East is shaping up to be to refresh the listeners' memories of what we thought in the preseason? You had Marquette at 9-2 and two at this point in the season. I had them at uh, – or you had them at – yeah, you had him at nine and two. I had him at seven and four. So average that out, we nailed it. <laughs> right, right in the middle, we middled that one. Eight and three. That's exactly where they are. Um, and so for Big East play, you have preseason. You had Marquette going thirteen and seven, seven thirteen and seven, and I had them going ten and ten. So I will start. Like I'm certainly ready to amend my preseason Big East prediction. I would be disappointed with ten and ten right now yeah. um, based on what I've seen from Marquette and from what I've, we've seen of the rest of the Big East. Because, you know, I'm looking at the schedule and where some of the other teams are in the metrics. you got to figure Marquette looking at the schedule thinking they could probably win every game at home. If not, I, I'd set the over-under on home wins at about eight and a half. Yeah. Um, the only one it, that, like, really is like, boy, I don't see how we win this is Connecticut. Yeah, Connecticut is looking like the dominant Big East contender right now. I mean, they are making a case as the number one team in the country. Uh, Creighton, who a lot of people liked in the preseason, including myself, um, maybe not looking so much like a top Big East contender. Not that they're bad, but basically UConn is where most people thought Creighton would be. Yeah. Is a top five team, a final four contender, which is what UConn is looking like right now. Now, Creighton is missing um, Kalkbrenner right now. We'll talk about Creighton in a little bit. But uh, as far as your preseason prediction of 13-7, and seven, Phil, are are you sticking with it? Raising I, the stakes? Know, I, I was actually tempted to go a little more aggressive and go say 14-6 say and six or something like that. Um, like, but, you know, because and, – and not so much that I think Marquette is that much better than I thought because, let's be honest, I was pretty optimistic. I mean, that's kind of my shtick. That's um, your bit. But, but, but more so that, like, 
like the Big East, like don't tell anyone, but I think the Big East kind of sucks this year. Well, I mean, when Villanova sucks, it kind of brings down everything. Right. <laughs> Villanova, um, I mean, granted, they, they could still maybe write this ship, but I, I from what we've seen, I think that we're kind of past the point of they're bad because they're missing guys. Uh, I think they're just not top level this year. And yeah. Even if you do get Justin Moore back, uh, I don't know how much he changes because we don't know what version of Justin Moore and Ken Whitmore is very good, but I don't know if he's so good that he changes what Villanova is now to a Big East contender. But yeah, I, I think there's just I think there's a gap towards the back half of the Big East. I don't think Marquette is in the back half, quite frankly. Um, you know, you said you might want to raise the stakes. Well, Ken Palm is. Uh, so I think in the preseason, Ken Palm, uh, if I remember correctly, had a game by game prediction of 6 and 14. If you're familiar yes. with Ken Palm, they have like an overall prediction that allows for some variance. I want to say the overall prediction was 9 and 11 maybe or maybe 8 and 12 something like that, but I remember distinctly the game by game was like 6 and 14. Um, now the current projection overall from Ken Palm is 12 and 8, but if you go game by game Phil, it is 14 and 6. Uh, for Big East play in Marquette and that includes a projected only losing by one at Villanova, only losing by one at St. John's, a three-point loss at Xavier, and a four-point spread at Creighton. So, basically what I'm telling you is, like, 13 wins might be on the lower end. <laughs> right. 12, 12 wins might be on the lower end, quite frankly. Um, but, you know... I. I think if Marquette can get to 12 wins, they're probably comfortably a tournament team, I would hope. But again, yeah, I, I'm looking at the schedule right now, Phil, and I'm thinking over-under home wins, 8.5, over-under road wins, 4.5? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And and the, the only reason, you know, I I don't want to get more aggressive than I already am is, is again, I we haven't exercised the, the late late-season Marquette swoon yet. Um, yep. You know, and DePaul is sitting there February 25th. St. John's is sitting there, you know, March 4th, last, you know, senior day. Um, we always seem to have St. John's for senior day, and I don't know why that is. I guess it's an A trip outfit. to Hinkle late yeah. February? Right. You know, so, you know, I, I think the bottom six of, and maybe bottom five of the Big East is is pretty bad. I mean, Georgetown is just completely abysmal. Um, yeah. It's it's hard. And DePaul is not that far from them. Correct, correct. So I mean, that's four wins right there. Um, you know, you can make the argument that you know Seton Hall is dangerous but not good, right? Like Seton Hall is a defensive team. It's you know it's like a, a homeless man's version of Mississippi State. Um, they're good defensively, but oh sweet lord, is their offense uh, like? That that Seton Hall Rutgers game, oh, I just wanted to <laughs> cut my own eyes out, um, you know. So, and you know, the only the only teams that I feel true, well and truly threatened by are are Creighton with Kalkbrenner. Um, Kalkbrenner, I think is, and again, we'll get to that game, but they're basic. He's basically there also, like. He has to be on the court for them to be able to do all the things they need to do. So if if he's back, I, I'm threatened by Creighton. I'm obviously threatened by UConn with number one in Ken Palm right yeah, now. Yeah, just UConn. Yeah, good good for you, Danny Hurley. Um, 
and uh you know and i think xavier is is intriguing um and i think they're a solid team but other than that i mean i'd make the argument that on paper right now marquette's probably the fourth best team in the big east i would have to put them there as well because i I, i've got to see villanova with just more before i give them the respect that they've earned during the jay wright era um it's a new era now and they again i'm not sure what version of justin moore they're going to get if at all so i would have to put for now marquette ahead of villanova and i agree with you on seton hall a nice squad that if you play like crap they can beat you but if you play your game marquette should beat seton hall no matter the uh location uh st john's metrics aren't bad but marquette's is better uh so i i I think that's a team you should at least get a split with if not i think you'll have a chance to beat them when you go to new york yeah well and and providence is like they're just you know whatever but like the st john's game is going to be crazy because because their average possession length is is number two in in ken palm and marquette's is number 14 so both teams play super duper fast so like that game is just going to be like a full-out sprint the entire time take the over yes yeah uh, yeah absolutely if you're into such things it for entertainment purposes only so the 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 big question next phil is can Marquette start Big East play 1-0? Big East play begins this Friday, December 16th. It will be a home game against Creighton. And, of course, the the, the, the tough thing to break down, Phil, is, as you mentioned, we don't know if Col- Ryan Kalkbrenner is going to play. Marquette, or Creighton's uh, preseason All-Big East player, was he a preseason All-American? Or, yes. I don't think he was preseason think- All-American, but... Or, but- He's way up there. The bot's the bottom line. He's he preseason. He was one of the more heralded players in the country. He is a menace in the middle. Uh, he, he's very big, and he will he will neutralize to some extent what Oso Iguodaro can do. And uh, I, I mean, is it as simple as if Kalkbrenner's out, Marquette should win, and if Kalkbrenner plays, Creighton could get this one? I, I I mean, if if we want to go simple analysis, I would say yes, absolutely. If Kalkbrenner's not there, I I don't know what Creighton can do because I think Creighton's perimeter defense is very susceptible to pick and rolls. Which mm, boy, Cam Jones, Tyler Kolick, like that's what they do for a living. Um, so without Kalkbrenner there to kind of erase some of those mistakes. I think it's. I, I mean, we're bordering on a ten, uh, a double digit victory without Kalkbrenner. I, I, I very strongly wow, double believe digit. that. Now, now, Creighton isn't in a slide, but they have been all close games. They've lost five straight, but that's a two point loss to Arizona, one of the best teams in the country. Five point loss to Texas, who has their own mess to deal with, but they are still one of the highest rated teams in the country. A uh, well, the, the the Nebraska loss was the real stinker. They lost by ten to Nebraska. Nebraska is number eighty two in Ken Palm. 
BYU, that was a three-point loss on a neutral floor. Uh, BYU's not that great. I mean, they're in the top 100 on Ken Palm, but they're 92, so it's not like uh, that's a game Creighton should have won. And then they just lost on Monday to Arizona State on a neutral floor, uh, two-point loss there. So they have some close losses, but they are all losses. But again, some of that was without uh, their seven-foot-one big guy Ryan Kalkbrenner. Yeah, but I think the other part of it is I think this is a wear and tear thing. Right. I mean, so they were in Maui um, for three games. Then they came, then they were on the road to Texas. Then they're, you know, home for Nebraska where they lost. And then they were in Las Vegas for BYU and Arizona State. Like, good on you, Creighton, for, for scheduling such a tough schedule. I mean, I would, I'm not criticizing it. But like, yeah, I mean, if I, if I had the type of team, yeah, if I had the type of team Creighton had in the preseason, I would schedule aggressively too, because I'd be playing for a one seed, quite right. frankly. Because if you know, if they were fully healthy, and if you know, if they win Maui, and they would, pre- they would still, they would have a resume worthy of being a top seed. But um, I mean, they could still get there. But that's why you schedule like that when you have a team like this, right? And and so I just think it's a lot of wear and tear, right? Like they've been. They've had a lot of air miles, and now you wrap up in Las Vegas, and now you're on a five-game skid, and you gotta you gotta come into Marquette, and if Kalkbrenner's not there, like I think Marquette without Kalkbrenner, I think Marquette's style on offense and capabilities on defense really play well against Creighton. With but with Kalkbrenner there. Like, I think it flips the script. Like, there is no way. Marquette might eke out a win, even with Kalkbrenner there, but it's not like Marquette's going to be in control of the game. At best, that's going to be a back-and-forth affair. I mean, Arthur Kaluma would have to go off, right, for Creighton to win this game? Right. It, without without Kalkbrenner? Right. And we would have to not shoot well. Hmm. I feel like we're almost getting too confident against Creighton. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I hope the players themselves aren't getting cocky. Um, you know, I don't know. The The thing is, Creighton, there was a hot minute there where we were all going to have to eat crow about how, you know, Creighton looked dynamite, even though, you know, secretly inside we were all like, are they really that good before the season? And now I feel like we're kind of back to that over the last five games. Is, yeah, like it, it was it definitely in our little... Um uh, MUBB pack group chat with the guys from Anonymous Eagle and crack sidewalks and paint touches. We, you know, we were kind of talking and some of them tweeted or written articles to this um, effect as well, that maybe Creighton was a little overvalued in the preseason, but yeah, like when they got to the finals in Maui and played Arizona and almost beat them, I mean, they lost that game by two. I mean, if they beat Arizona, win Maui, then they've got that early season buzz by winning that tournament. Um, And then, yeah, you go on the road and lose to Texas, one of the better teams in the country. There's no shame in losing that one. But then these last three games is what really has brought Creighton back to earth. But, um, again, if it's without Kalkbrenner, how much of that is forgivable? How many how many games has Kalkbrenner missed? By the way, when, when was, I'm gonna check his box scores right now while we're talking. But um, he's played two. He's missed two games. Okay, he's missed. So he missed. Uh, so he was there in the Creighton game, or he was there in the Nebraska game, but yes. he lost. He was out for Vegas. Yes, yes, he did not. He, I, I believe it's a non-COVID illness, but un, un, undisclosed. But yeah, he's oh. he's missed the last two games. All right, so. 
Well, then if he's back, uh, you know, I, I mean, breaking it down like he's back. Yeah. yeah. That it, he, he is, he was one of the more, most frustrating players to play against in the league last year, just because he is, you never, you just don't see seven one very much. I mean, we saw what um, seven the big one guy they could move. Did. Yeah, I mean, Purdue was obviously a, a tough matchup for us for that reason, right? I mean, uh, Zach Eady was a, a menace in there. Yeah, like you, you can't move the guy, and he's got those long arms, and he's just barely has to move to get rebounds uh, or and block shots. It's just. You, it's so hard to match up against those guys, and Oso did the best they could. But the thing is, when Purdue, when Edie was in there, Shaka had a pretty good game plan for it, and it worked for her 75-80% of that game before it, things kind of fell apart at the end. So if Carpenter's going to be in there, is it going to could it be a similar game plan um, against Carpenter that you used against Zach Edie? I think so. I mean, I I. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have to put almost the exact same game plan in. Now the risk is, I think, I guess I'd have to go look at this, but I was assuming Creighton was a better three-point shooting team than Purdue, but I guess I don't know that off the top of my head. But that's that's where you run the risk of like, if you're gonna double or you're gonna front Kalkbrenner. Like you got to be really deliberate where that action is coming from because there's only you know you're you're not going to double off a of Kaluma you're probably not going to double off a of Schneiderman, um, so I I think it does look a lot like that Purdue which was successful until Edie was like no nah, man I'm I'm just going to do me um, so I I don't know that we can depend on. Kulk Brenner, if he plays, going going quiet for twenty minutes. That's that's the challenge. Yeah, I mean he's not. Yeah, the only way he's quiet for that long is if he's in foul trouble. Right. Um, we, and actually, I just got it up here. Their three point percentage of Creighton and Purdue very close. Actually, Creighton shoots thirty four point four percent from three. Purdue shoots thirty three point six. So Creighton just a shade better. Okay. Not not like. Tellingly so, but that doesn't mean. I no. mean, I also know Creighton. I believe it was in the Texas game um, and the Nebraska game had some abysmal uh, shooting from range. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll that'll pull that that average down a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, Creighton's offense ranked 30th in the country on Ken Palm. Their defense ranked 36th. Uh, one area where they're particularly outstanding is uh, turnovers on offense. They don't turn the ball over very much, but they also don't force many turnovers on defense. Uh, they're in the 300s nationally as far as forcing turnovers. Um, they they don't put you on the free throw line very much, so they're not going to foul you very much. Actually, um, first in the nation in defensive free throw rate, but they also don't go to the line very much. They rank 249th in the country in their own free throw rate. So, hey, I'd be I'm all for a game that doesn't have a lot of fouls, but yeah, well, let's Jones at the let, let, let's hope Pat Driscoll's not officiating it. Yeah. Um so as I mentioned, three-point percentage is fine but not elite. Um two-point percentage fifth, ranks 50th in the country, which is fine, but it doesn't compare to Marquette, which is f- fourth in the country, two-point yeah. percentage this year. Yeah. I mean, that pick and roll has been working Pretty pretty well this year. Whether it's, uh, I mean, especially it's a lot of Tyler and uh, Oso, but you know Cam Jones getting the basket, which we hammered on earlier in the show, 
that is also a big reason for that very high number. Well, and and that's that's why Kalkbrenner makes all the difference, right? Like, if yeah. if he can defend the rim, the, even Cam Jones, as well as he's been getting to the rim, I think is going to be really challenged. Now, what what'll be interesting is the Oso Kalk, Kalkbrenner, um, like matchup, right? Like, especially when Marquette's on the offense, because. You know, are they going to sag Kalkbrenner off of Oso knowing, you know, Oso doesn't have a jump shot, or at least one he's shown so far. But if you sag off of him, he can drive, make things happen. Um, so does does Kalkbrenner leave kind of the lane area and, and follow Oso out when Oso's doing his distribution things? which potentially opens up some backdoor cutting like again not not to turn this into a not safe from for work podcast but uh holy crow some of the filthy things stevie miller did in the or stevie <laughs> mitchell did in the uh the notre dame game um you know i i think that's the the battle at chest is is kalkbrenner does specific things and Oso is a a different a different animal so what do they do with with Oso? Yeah, the thing is, they 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 probably don't have a reason to respect him as a shooter. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, you may like you're you're probably going to sag off of him. But uh, you also have to respect his ability as a passer. And if you're going to give him like room to actually survey the offense and make a good pass, he could probably find somebody. If you're going to give him a little room out there, or you know, he may drive a little. He may see where he. Survey the defense, then drive, and then decide where he wants to go with it before he dribbles with it. So if you give Oso too much space, yeah, he's probably not going to pull up and hit that jumper on you, but he could still create for somebody else. So point Oso could be a weapon. Yeah, and so and so when we talk about like, um, you know, when we talk about what what what's Marquette do against Kalkbrenner, I think some of it is what is how does how does Creighton match up against Marquette, right? Like. You know how does how does Creighton prevent shots at the rim and threes? Because that's basically what Marquette's doing. Like, I don't I don't have the heat map. We'd have to reach out to paint touches and some of the synergy stuff. But I can't recall much in the way of of you know jump shots from twenty seven to say fifteen feet. Like I just I don't think Marquette is is playing in that in that area at all. And so the question is, can can Creighton force Marquette into that? Because so far, Marquette has been able to get what it wants. Shots at the rim and, and open looks for three. Dunks and threes. Yeah. Dunks and threes. It's a great formula for success, and Marquette's been executing it. That's why it's Ken Palm numbers are so good and why right now Marquette is projected to be a tournament team. Now, can they keep that up as we begin uh, Big East play? Uh, prediction time, Phil. I mean, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm kind of with you that definitely if Kalkbrenner does not play, I really think Marquette definitely wins this game. If Kalkbrenner does play, um, you know what? I, st- I dare Do I dare get optimistic and say Marquette could win anyway? It'd just be tighter and just be a, it'd be a real fight. But um, the way this team is growing and improving, uh, yeah, I, I think they could take Creighton right now. I really do. And... Um, I'm I'm going to bring the optimism energy for this Friday. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, no Kalkbrenner, easy win. Not well, not easy, but like 
less sweat, I guess. A, a but, standard uh, win. Yeah, a, a solid win. Uh, yeah, they're not going to beat them by double digits necessarily. I, I wouldn't go that far, but um, I, I think it would be a game that Marquette could control for the most part to the point that we're not sweating at the bot at the end of it. But um, but with Kalkbrenner, yeah, that's you know get the get the heartburn medication out for that one because I think that would be, go all the way down to the wire. Yeah, I. So I, I agree with you. I, I kind of hate it when we agree on, on the podcast just simply because that's that's usually the Mack truck coming the other way to hit us. Yeah. Um, but but I do agree. I think that this is not a – either way, it's not a cakewalk for Marquette, but I think Marquette can match up with, with Creighton quite favorably without Kalkbrenner. With Kalkbrenner um, – I think it's going to be a heck of a challenge and a, and a great game. Getting this game at home, I think, makes a huge difference. Um, I, I'm curious to see what the crowd looks like. Um, you know, the energy's been great. You know, the Baylor game energy, the Wisconsin, even though there was a fair number of Wisconsin fans there, the, the crowd has been really good. If this game, you know, sells out or is close to a sellout, I think that could that could make a big difference, especially with, with Creighton kind of reeling. Um, so I, I am going to predict, regardless of who's in the lineup for Creighton, um, I do think Marquette wins. I think it's just going to be a question of how challenging and nail-biting it's going to be. But I think, you know, I, I, this isn't this isn't the Wojo teams where we, you know, we open the Big East season typically playing Creighton and just get absolutely, you know, demolished. Um, I, I have confidence in this staff and this roster to to come up with things that uh, can kind of take advantage of a a bit of a reeling Creighton. I was just uh, peeking at the uh, the lines as we're recording this on Tuesday. They usually don't have college basketball lines out this early, and they don't have one. The Ken Palm line, for what it's worth, is Marquette by three. Um, now that that line has the entire season baked in and obviously does not account for whether Kalkbrenner plays or not. It just it's Creighton's numbers as they are, the the good and the bad, the with Kalkbrenner and without, and they have uh, Marquette uh, by three. I'll be very curious to see when the line is posted for uh, gambling purposes what they have it at. Um, and yeah, like the line may even tell you whether they think Kalkbrenner's playing or not. Right. Like somehow, even though the coaches don't say it, there's always somebody in Vegas who knows. Right. Right. Like they, like they always know. So I'll be curious to see what that line uh, looks like because I, I don't even know if I could venture a guess, but I, I will for grins. I, I would say if 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 Kalkbrenner is like announced out, I would say it's Marquette four and a half. And yeah, I was going to say five. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say if Kalkbrenner plays, uh, maybe a pick him. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm thinking that Vegas will favor Creighton if Kalkbrenner plays. So I, I, if if I see the line one or two for Creighton, um, yeah. I'm going to assume it's almost wild to say something. that. Like, yeah, it's almost wild to say that one guy might be worth four and a half points in a spread, but he might be. Mm-hmm. I don't he see how he's so. not because it, it's it's also not like Creighton's bench is super deep at this point. So, so, all right. So we're going to be optimistic, and I think it's a good, it's a good, good maybe it's just us. the holiday spirit. It's it's maybe it's just the holiday spirit that's engulfed this, but I think it is also the fact that I think Mar- we can dare say Marquette is legit good. Uh, they certainly have out you know 
outperformed the preseason expectations of being the ninth best team in the Big East. This could all go to hell and they could get there anyway, but I would not bet on that. I, I, I like them to be in the upper half of the league. Um, and I think you kind of said it correct earlier, Phil. As from what we know right now about every team in the Big East, I'll take Marquette around fourth right now. Yeah. I, we'll see how they do. Yeah. Hey, I mean, the, the, let's keep in mind where expectations were coming into this season. We said the the floor was, you know, maybe struggling to get into the NIT, and the, the ceiling was getting a, you know, a 6, 7, 8 seed in the NCAA tournament. I think we're solidly on the path to an NCAA tournament bid. Um, and, you know, for, for what we're developing here, that's really all we need. Yeah, let's. I mean, keep going and get to the point where you're playing a first round game where you're favored. Right. That's that, that's that's what we all want, right? We just want to stop hearing about 2013 for both Marquette and Shaka's sake. That was the last time either one of them won a tournament game. So, uh, but we'll we'll deal with that maybe in solving three that problem in a decade feels like a good round number, right? Like that just yeah, that so, feels right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll maybe talk more about that in about two months when brackets really start to take shape. But for now, let's see if we can just beat Creighton and uh, go from there. So let's get off to a 1-0 start. You know, with the holidays coming up, just to give you an idea of maybe what our schedule's going to be as far as future podcasts, I think we are going to plan on squeezing one in after the Creighton game, talk about whatever happens in that one. But I think probably after that, for that podcast, we will maybe look ahead to both Providence and Seton Hall because uh, Providence is December 20th, Seton Hall is the 27th, so we're probably not going to record a podcast on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So um, the next time we check in after that will probably be after the Seton Hall game, and then maybe we'll get back to our usual schedule of trying to get you a podcast every Sunday evening, Monday afternoon, something like that. So that's just to look forward to. So we'll, we'll next podcast will probably come your way um over this coming weekend after the Creighton game, then we may take a little short holiday hiatus to get us through Christmas, then we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. After hopefully Marquette is 3-0 and after wins over Creighton Providence. Oh, could you home. imagine? Oh, my God. Oh, I, I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine Two, a lot of things. <laughs> a month ago, I probably couldn't have imagined that. But right now, yes, I could imagine Marquette being 3-0 and in the Big East. I damn, sure, I damn well sure could. Well, I really, I, quite, really could. quite frankly... You know, not to get too far ahead of myself, but like two and one feels at a minimum the expectation now, right? But anyway, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I, you've got me looking at the schedule and start like getting like really really ridiculous, and I'm gonna dare ask you if we're gonna be undefeated when we play Creighton or Connecticut on January 11th. But let's not go there first. Well, I mean, that's that. Yeah, let's 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 pump the brakes. I mean, the bigger question is. Will Patrick Ewing still be the coach when when Georgetown comes to Milwaukee on January seventh? Oh, I think he will. Yeah, I mean, he may not. I I don't know if he'll finish the year that way, but uh, I, I maintain my opinion that Georgetown does not want to fire Patrick Ewing during a season, and Patrick Ewing would not quit during a season. Listen, if my brother was setting fires all over the state, I wouldn't want to arrest him, but. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I, I I might feel inclined to do that. All right. We're going to try to take, get back to taking this one game at a time, and let's just focus on beating Creighton uh, this Friday. But as always, you can hit us up on Twitter, everybody. I'm Joe McCann 3 Phil is 
M-O-O-O-F-23 at Crack Sidewalks is the team handle. Uh, you can go to CrackSidewalks.com. We post the podcasts there, and you can leave comments on CrackSidewalks.com. And remember to uh, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Phil, let's hopefully have a good weekend. Get your Christmas shopping done if you haven't. You know the stores are going to be a madhouse. It might be too late to order anything, so you got to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, if you're not go to they. Shop. They have these places called malls, and they oh. have lots of shops there. Find one and find or you some can just presents. Get, like, or you can just get like everything you need at Target. Yeah, that's true. Tar- Target yeah. is Target is a good Tar- Target. Target Tar- is now now that Jacques Penet has closed. Target's the, the go-to. <laughs> I still have a Jacques Panay by me. Oh, do you really? Oh, good for you. Yeah, like I don't know how popular they are nationwide, but I do have it. That's we're saying J.C. Penny for those of you who don't get the joke. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> make our average store sound awesome. Target and Jacques Panay. So get your Christmas shopping done. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. We'll check in with you after the Creighton game. Until then, seashells and balloons. <laughs>